Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. Today we have a special phone interview with Emily Zenos, a mother of seven out of Minnesota, who has had to fight not only the legislative body up there, but also the school board in this transgender movement, this gender identity being forced upon our children. She has spent many years working and developing arguments against the gender movement, and today we're going to hear just how we can do this in Colorado. I work with Ask Me First Minnesota, which essentially advocates for common sense recognition of biological sex in law, policy, and culture. And then we focus especially on the negative impact that gender identity laws have on women and girls. So I guess your biggest problem is you start off with common sense, and that's not so common. Yeah, that's getting pretty rare these days, <laughs> although I think actually what's rare is that people are willing to speak common sense and communicate that. We've still got it. We're just afraid to say it. That's true. It's true. It's in there, but there's definitely a giant fear factor. Um, yeah. So I, and I love your, your – I follow you on Twitter, and you're, I know you're very active. I love your your line there, I've given birth seven times, you don't scare me. That's right. It's my opinion that any woman who's given birth, right, shouldn't be afraid of anyone. But when you do it seven times, bring it. <laughs> That's right. That's right. It's very biblical, too. So you got you got a good number going there. That's right. Uh, yeah. So I guess um, what would be helpful is how did this all get started? What was kind of the genesis of Ask Me First even needing to be in existence? Um, well, my own... Um, interest in the, this issue stems from something that happened at my children's school. So we had our children enrolled in a public charter school here in Minnesota, and in 2015, we got an email that blindsided us from the principal of the grade school. She said that there was a transgender identified kindergartner who'd enrolled, and that the only way the school could welcome him was to read I am Jazz or My Princess Boy to every kid in grades K through 12. Um, essentially, my first reaction was, what on earth is this? How I'd never heard of a transgender identified five-year-old in my life. Right. Um, I had to do a, a quick Google search, um, was pretty astonished at what I found. But what ended up happening at our school was that um, the family of the transgender kindergartner said, we want you to read this book to the grade schoolers, and we don't want you to tell parents beforehand. We want this to happen secretly. Thankfully, our school said no to that. Um, they agreed to read the book, but they said we want to tell parents first. And the family said that's not good enough. They pulled their child out of the school. They filed a human rights complaint with our city. And then the school ended up settling out of court with the family for $120,000 and then agreed to a, to a policy at the school called a gender inclusion policy that led to, you know, a whole bunch of violations of students' rights, parents' rights, violations of the First Amendment. It goes on and on. Um, that's... That's what got me involved. Um, I should add one more note. Once this particular, the 2015-16 school year ended, I thought, you know, I have a, a little breathing room. I'm going to do a little bit of research on this issue. What I found absolutely horrified me in terms of what the medical consequences on children are. And that's what fuels my passion for activism in this issue. Yeah, so it's not only defending your own kids. It's really helping out 
those kids that are that are struggling and their parents are going along with it. That's right. I mean, this the whole transgender issue is a part of a broader ideology that tells kids their body has no meaning or purpose, that their body doesn't tell them who they are, and that we can do whatever we want to our bodies. That's that's a terrible message to give to kids that are oftentimes going through difficult struggles when they're going through puberty. Um, lots and lots of kids are going through depression and already have mental health issues that are leading to suicidality. We don't need to add into an already tumultuous period in a child's life the idea that there could be something seriously wrong with their body, that they were born in the wrong body, or that they can do whatever they want to their body. Well, you know, we had uh, we have a conference every fall, and we had a plastic surgeon who also happens to be a deacon who came and talked on the transgender movement. And he talked, you know, he said basically 80 to 90 percent of the kids, if you just raise them normally, that struggle with this will grow up fine. But zero percent, but zero percent will if you buy into it. That's right. Every study. And, you know, I'm I'm citing this. I'm going to tell you this quote from a homosexual man who is a sexologist. Okay, he did a review of all of the studies that followed children who were confused about their sex into adulthood. And you know what? Every study found that those kids, the vast majority of them, came to accept their sex if they were just allowed to pass through natural puberty, right? So shouldn't our efforts towards these kids be geared towards helping them um, maintain and sustain and live happily through those periods of their life without medical intervention so they can come to a point where they accept themselves. I mean, every kid should know they were born in the right body. Well, yeah, I mean, your biology, you're either XX or XY. You can't change biology. That's that's exactly right. And why would we tell our kids otherwise? And I've seen other medical professionals who say that, uh, you know, when you give them puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones, you're basically chemically castrating them. Yes, that is, in fact, the fact that got me involved in this issue, knowing that children are being sterilized at very young ages absolutely horrified me. And and the fact is as well, something that a lot of people don't know and that schools really need to understand is that affirming a child in a transgender identity, so essentially playing along with a child that they're actually the opposite sex and then allowing them to dress as such, change their name, change their pronouns, their hairstyle, etc. That's called affirmation. Affirming a child in a transgender identity ends ends up making it far more likely that they're going to continue to think that they're transgender, that they're the opposite sex. I mean, it makes sense. If everyone in your social sphere is pretending and playing along with that sort of idea, how is a child going to find a way out of it? So when schools pass policies that affirm kids by using preferred pronouns and new names, what they're doing is putting a child on what I call school-to-gender clinic pipeline, right? Once they've affirmed those kids, they're more likely to go on to medical transition. And like you mentioned earlier, that means putting a kid on puberty blockers. That means that their sex cells, eggs or sperm, will never mature then putting them on cross-sex hormones, 100% of kids who go on puberty blockers go on to use cross-sex hormones. If they do that, they will be permanently sterile. So we're talking about kids being put on this pathway at maybe 9, 10, 11 years old. 
We yeah, have a which federal is mind-boggling, law. yeah. It is. We have a federal law that prohibits sterilization of people under 21. Why would we ask an 11-year-old to make that sort of a decision? Well, and to think that, that adults go along with the delusion, and I guess if your parents go along and all of a sudden you force the school to go along, you think, well, I guess I'm right. Yeah, that's it's exactly right. I mean, kids kids go along with what the adults communicate to them. Um, and also another thing that's very powerful in communicating transgender ideas to kids are their peers. So if you have a, a classmate, say, in your first grade room, who's now identifying as the opposite sex, changed their hairstyle, changed their clothing, uses a new name, that's a sort of a pedagogical tool for everyone else in the classroom. So all of those kids who at a young age, you know, they think really concretely. Um, they get confused if the girl in the class looks like a boy, says she's a boy, and uses a boy's name, they kind of take that to mean she really is a boy. So that's another aspect of affirmation that's, um, you know, increasing the likelihood that more kids will identify as trans. Right, and the other agenda is to indoctrinate those other kids so that you have other people that give this false sympathy to a delusion when they get older, and it's self-perpetuating. I mean, it just constantly goes on and on and on, and if you can indoctrinate kids, you, you win. Right, and that's why I think it's really important that parents get involved and let their schools know what the consequences of these ideas are. Because, I mean, honestly, think back to the 80s. Um, anorexia was... Uh, an epidemic when I was a kid in schools. I remember schools giving um, sort of informational sessions on the dangers of anorexia. In the 90s, it was cutting and self-harm. There were all sorts of information that schools conveyed to students about the dangers of all of that. Now, why is it that schools are condoning or even celebrating the trans movement? Because what it's leading to is even more grievous harm than anything that anorexia or cutting ever did. So it's it's super important that parents speak up, make sure their, their school boards and administrators know this isn't something that we should be neutral on. This isn't something we should be celebrating. If we want to make sure that our kids make it to healthy adulthood, then we need to acknowledge the consequences. Well, that's kind of our job, right? Get our kids to heaven. And uh, yes. we're going to fill their head full of lies, then... How do you do that? And, you know, one of the things we saw, and I want to get your opinion on that, was when we ran that conference and had that uh, speaker uh, who did plastic surgery, I had parents come up to me and say, I, I don't know. I don't even know how to talk to my kids about this. This just frightens me. So then they do nothing, and they let society teach them. What was the reaction with other parents that you encountered when, when they heard this was going on? Um, well, at our kids' school, thankfully, a lot of the parents were already really engaged. Um, we'd already had a couple of battles at the school that got parents involved. Oh, so, good. you know, key, yeah, key to a lot of this is build a network, build a community at your school, make sure that parents know what's going on in all sorts of subjects, right? So that when something like this comes up, you already have a network in place. But at our child's school, um, immediately there was resistance to this idea that you could be, quote unquote, born in the wrong body. Um, and so it, it made the response a lot easier. But I would say, broadly speaking, a lot of people react, on, I should say, on the political right, a lot of people react to this issue by going, this is just crazy. This is nuts. 
it's going to burn itself out. I'm not going to worry about it. You know, this, why are we worried about this, you know, half a percent of people? To which I would say, no, 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 no. Actually, the policies and the laws that the trans movement are pushing for are going to affect 100% of us because there is not one person who doesn't have a sex. We're all either male or female. What the trans movement does is pass policies in schools or municipal laws. Now they're pushing for federal laws that, that pretend as if people don't have a sex but have a gender. Okay? A gender is just a mental state. Okay? Right. It's and a, and a, non-binary at that. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely fluid. Like You won't find me disagreeing with the idea that gender is fluid, gender is changeable, gender is a spectrum. Because you know what humans have? Humans have a sex. We're male or female, and that's that. There are social aspects of our sex. There are behavioral aspects of our sex, but there is not something called a gender that we have. So when we get a law or a policy that says we have a gender identity and we get to use, say, facilities that were traditionally separated by sex according to gender identity, that's when we get boys in our girls' locker rooms and we get boys beating our girls on their high school sports teams. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, there, there's no way girls can compete against guys in, in those no. types of sports. I mean, that's no. why we have girls' sports and boys' sports. Otherwise, we would, exactly. why, would we, why would we separate them? Yeah, it's just a common sense recognition of the fact that you know, in the vast majority of sports, there's a 10% performance gap between males and females. By the time a boy hits about 15 or 16, he can beat adult female athletes, even trained adult female athletes. Every single year, you know, the fastest, the woman's fastest time on the 100 meter, that was Flojo and I think the 1988 Olympics. Right, right. Every Every single year, hundreds of men beat that time. <laughs> Every single year. We've not had one woman beat that time since 1988, okay? So it's, it's just a simple recognition of the fact that there are some real stark physical differences between men and women that we have sex-specific teams. So to say, no, 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 you know, if someone feels like they're the opposite sex and they should get to play on that team is to say, we don't care about girls' advancement in sports. No, no, there's there's no care. I mean, this is really the emperor's new clothes. I mean, it's hard to believe that mm -hmm. a children's story would come to life in, in 2019 and, and even before. Right, right, yeah. Don't think that we're ever immune to falling for a ridiculous ideology. Every <laughs> <laughs> We are all continually, you know, vulnerable to these bad ideas. Well, there's a difference between dumb and stupid, and that's kind of crossing that line right there. <laughs> yeah. So you had other parents, they organized, you know, the school had settled a lawsuit, how did how did the school board how did the school react? Because part of the reason we're talking is um, right as we speak, the the legislator here legislative body here in Colorado is trying to pass a health education bill that would require public and charter schools to teach a variety of subjects, not, not the least of which is the gender. They would tell their parent tell their parents if it's a formal. Uh, presentation, but teachers could teach it all day long without ever telling the parents. 
and probably by the time this airs that will have that will be law so there's there's a real vested interest in the people listening today so i'd be curious to get your take on that parents need to get involved even if this law passes you know <laughs> all the time legislative bodies pass laws that violate constitutional rights that's not something new and so to say oh well it's law you know we'll just have to deal with it is the wrong response um, you know, parents need to remember that the Supreme Court found that they have a fundamental right to control the upbringing and education of their children. They've got the right to control their child's exposure to sensitive materials like, you know, gender identity instruction, like you were talking about. Right. And parents have the right to teach their children that there's a difference between the sexes. Those are fundamental rights that parents have that the that the um, U.S. Supreme Court has affirmed. And even if a law like this passes in Colorado, parents need to be sure that their school understands they know they have these rights and they're going to use them. So, for example, um, going walking into the classroom, even though, like you said, this law would allow a teacher to incorporate gender identity instruction into every subject mm -hmm. without necessarily notifying parents. Parents, there's no reason they can't walk into the classroom and say, Thank you so much for the good work you're doing with my kids. I appreciate you as a teacher, um, but it's really important to me that I know what my child is learning when it comes to family life issues, sexuality, gender identity. Um, I, I'm curious to know, is that something that's going to be incorporated into every subject? Oh, and by the way, could I maybe go through the classroom library? You know, come in with charity. Come right. in um, not assuming the worst, but come in knowing your rights and come in ready to assert them. Because the more parents that come into the classroom and make it clear that they're concerned about these issues, the more you're going to see teachers um, being sensitive to that. So maybe the school doesn't have a policy that they have to notify, but you know what? If you ask your teacher nicely, they might notify you anyway. So I, I say proceed as if that law wasn't there and act like act like you know your rights and come in and assert them. Um, well, because be there's, there's nothing right, you can too. hurt. That's right. Yeah, be confident. And and you know, here's another thing. Maybe the school says, maybe I'm not sure what your laws say, but perhaps they say something like you don't have the right to opt out, or maybe you just don't have a law about opting out. Well, you know what? You come into the school and you let them know your child's not going to be attending that assembly or that lesson anyway and pull them out of the school because there is no way that when your your child passes through the schoolhouse gates that your school owns your child that is your child that child's life and mind and heart is your responsibility their education is your responsibility as a parent so don't cede that right just because you're afraid or because the legislator has legislation has confused you about it well i think that's uh, a good reminder to parents that hey you're the main teacher you, right. if you don't take the bull by the horns and let everybody else do it then you know what it's not going to be good you're going to get right. stuff. So go in and be confident and rally other parents. Now, you guys kind of did that. I watched your video on your website. By the way, that Ask Me First Colorado, uh, or excuse me, Minnesota website is fantastic. I would highly recommend people go on there. And I really like the resource guide. But you had mentioned you guys did like some town halls at the school. And, you know, the other side came in trying to intimidate. What was that like? Yes. So one thing that parents need to know is um, 
we have a responsibility to educate our fellow parents. We need to share the truth. So um, something that's really fantastic about um, our public schools is that if they allow any club or outside organization to use the building after school hours, they have to let in anyone who asks to use the building. So what we did at our public school was say, all right, you're only going to present one side of this issue. We're going to uh, rent the gym, and we're going to bring in another perspective on our own. And we did that. Um, public school parents all over this country have the right to do that. So go into your school, ask if you can use the gym, bring in a speaker, um, someone you know and respect on this issue, have them present another side, and then invite everyone. So we invited the entire community, and we got them. <laughs> we had how, many, probably, how many people showed up? You know, I think we probably had 350 people there, plus oh, wow. we had all of the news media from from our state. So we had right, every okay. major TV station, all of the newspapers came. Um, we made sure to let them know what was happening. We wanted them there. Um, but we well, sure, that's how, you of, get, that's how you get the other perspective out, right? The real that's truth. That's right. That's right. We also got a lot of protesters. But you know what was beautiful was they were there, too. They were there, too, when we prayed for everyone. They were there, too, when they heard um, some of the medical consequences that these kids are going to go through. So we, we can't operate as if, you know, the, the activists on the other side have the upper hand, and we can't be afraid of them. Of course, people are going to disagree with us, but we can't then let that fear dictate how we respond. We just keep going in charity and in truth. Well, and those are souls that need to be saved too, right? I mean, everybody right. deserves, I mean, we're all created uh, from our creator and all have that innate dignity. If we That's view them right. as the enemy and not souls that need to be saved, then we're coming at this at a totally bad perspective. You're right. And there are a lot of people, in fact, you know, I work with people all over the world on this issue. There are a lot of people who regret transitioning. There are a lot of people that are on the other side right now that have transitioned and that are going to regret it. Who knows when? Maybe tomorrow. Maybe it won't be another year. Maybe it'll be five years from now. But they're going to regret it at some point. We have to communicate to the other side that we're waiting with open arms, that we're here for them, that we love them, and that we see their innate dignity, and that they reflect the image of God to all of us. So well, that's yeah, an important I, part of this. Yeah, and you can go online, and you can go on YouTube and see people who have detransitioned and. You hear quite frequently, I wish somebody would have told me the truth. I don't know that I would have listened, but I wish somebody would have shared the truth with me as opposed to just going along with it. And, you know, the suicide rate, and I think you quoted even in your resource guide, is like 20 times higher for those that have gone through this procedure all the way through than the normal population, even years afterwards. That's right. That's why we have to consider it an act of charity and of justice that we say something. It's our absolute responsibility to say something. We can't walk away from this disaster um, without later bearing the guilt of not doing what we could have to help those who are being pulled into it. And, you know, Deacon Jeff, earlier you brought up the Parent Resource Guide, and I feel like, oh, I should I should give some background on what exactly you're talking about. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. First, yeah, so Ask Me First's most recent project is to create something called a parent resource guide, 
which essentially gives a nice broad inner um, overview of the health consequences of the transgender trend. We clarify some of the confusing terminology. I thought that we was give, really helpful, the terminology okay. piece, because people get so intimidated by that. I know. I, a big part of this movement is using old words that we know in new ways that are confusing. So we yeah. have to we have to understand our terms and we have to stick with them. We need to use language that communicates the truth, but we also need to know what the words mean that they're using on the other side. So we know the game we're playing, right? <laughs> so, oh, absolutely. Um, but to go on, so the parent resource guide is also going to give parents tools to advocate for their children's rights in schools. And then what we do is we give parents constructive positive ideas to bring into their school boards to talk to their teachers about that are going to end up fostering what I call a genuinely inclusive climate. Um, because, you know, these some of these policies are, are just proliferating confusing. Confusing policies means confused kids. Um, so for parents to have something in hand that they can bring to meetings with their administrators and their teachers, I think is going to give parents um, some more confidence, like you were mentioning. So um, right now we have a Minnesota version of the Parent Resource Guide out, but in the spring we're going to be releasing a national version of the Parent Resource Guide. That's something that any parent in any state can make use of. Um, Colorado parents are going to find it super helpful too. Um, you know, 95% of kids are in K-12 public schools. Even Catholic yeah. parents, as you know, yeah. lots and lots of Catholic parents have their kids in public schools. Mine went this to is, public school, so yeah, I agree. Yeah, right. And so this is a tool that I put together, keeping in mind most kids are in public schools, lots of Christian parents. But you know what? We wrote this guide from a secular perspective because we also have Jewish brothers and sisters, Muslim brother, brothers and sisters. We have people of no faith at all that are in public schools. And this is an issue that's going to affect their kids too. So this is a guide that's not written from a Christian perspective. So parents should feel fully free to share it with their um, public school boards and administrators. You've been listening to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett, and we've just concluded the first of a two-part phone interview we've done with Emily Zenos, a mother of seven out of Minnesota, who created the Ask Me First movement. This Ask Me First movement has to do with fighting against the gender ideology that we've seen take place in the public and charter schools in Minnesota, which we're seeing also here in Colorado. Emily has told us about the trials and tribulations she's had to go through to protect children going to those public and charter schools from being forced to live the gender ideology. In this second part, we're going to go into some more detail. And at the end of the second part, we're going to tell you how you can get involved here in Colorado to be just like Emily and fight this movement that dictates gender to our children.